Well, good morning, church. There's been quite the road. I noticed outside a sign that says that 4th Avenue was established in 1833. That's about 180 years ago. So what a mess. It's going to take us a while to, to get a crossover here and to get all settled in and to understand half of you, but we're going to do our best. I, I, George, I was thinking this morning, I actually wasn't going to start with this story, but uh, what you were talking about, getting people to praise and to move about in a bit, and I was thinking, oh, God bless you, that's pushing a rock uphill. Let me explain. <laughs> we were in 10 years in Detroit, uh, and there is a, I, I speak a lot at law enforcement agencies, and... Uh, and not in handcuffs either, I mean, from a, but the, there was a sergeant in the Michigan State Police came to me and he said, would you be our keynote speaker for the International Law Enforcement Day of Prayer? And I said, sure, happy to do that over in Ann Arbor. And uh, that, so I showed up and um, began to realize, wait a minute, this might not have been what I thought. Huge tent. I, I was the white person. Um, <laughs> And I was thinking, that's unusual, you know, but all right, fair enough. And uh, in walks a police lieutenant that I knew, and he sat down beside me, and he goes, do you know what this is? And I said, no. And he goes, I don't either, but I don't think it's what we thought it was going to. It turned out to be one of the most Pentecostal groups I've ever seen. I thought it would be, you know, policemen with, you know, firearms and the like, but no, it wasn't that safe at all. There were people flying about with flags and speaking in tongues, and they were getting all worked up, and then they said, and now Dr. Mead. And I thought, well, that's a mood killer. So I stood up and I said, I'm a scientist, a Scotsman, and a member of the Church of Christ, and that's the trifecta of not being excited. So um, <laughs> we went from there. But why did it, uh, next year I went back. Why? Because I'm a member of the Church of Christ. And I want to explain what that means today. Now don't, don't expect me to put on, you know, the wee skirt and pom-poms and cheerlead for the Church of Christ. But neither am I ready to grab a shovel, hit it in the head, and bury it. There is something about us which you might not know. We're going to talk about that for a while. The man that replaced me up in Detroit is a wonderful fellow named Adam Hill. And he and I preached once at this one place. And he stood up, and his introduction was, Hello, my name is Adam, and I'm a member of the Church of Christ. And I went, Hello, Adam. You know, and, it, and I went, Well, all right, now hang on. Why is that so sad? Why is that? Well, we all understand. We don't have the best reputations everywhere we've been. We haven't behaved very well some places that we've been. We forgot who we were. And that's what I want to talk about today is who we are. Now, it sounds strange to have somebody come into the heartland of the Church of Christ movement and talk about the, who we are, but let's please remember that you came from Scotland originally, this movement did. So we're just back over here saying, get back on track. <laughs> a long time ago, there were two men, Alexander Campbell and Thomas Campbell, his dad, in Northern Ireland, but they considered themselves Scottish. The same way that you consider yourself American, even though you're on Cherokee land. They, uh, they, the, the Scots had been moved in by the force of the British crown to, uh, to uh, subjugate the six northern counties of Ireland. And so there they were. And there in Ahori, Ireland, Thomas Campbell was getting in trouble with his church. He was a part of the Seceder uh, Old Light Anti-Burger sect of the Presbyterian Church. Yes, churches had been splitting a long time before we showed up. 
And there they were. He was sent to America, kind of as a punishment, actually, at the time, because he had not been behaving. He had been accused of not um, really weeding out people from the Lord's Supper like he should. Only the righteous members of his particular group were allowed to have that Lord's Supper, and he was letting in some others. He was also accused of using too much scripture during his sermon, which, anyway, uh, he, he had uh, been accused of fellowshipping another minister who was not in his, his little group, and they had brought him up on trial a few times and thought, we'll send him to America, that'll sort him out. So he went to America, to the wild, wild west of America, the Western Reserve, what in is in present-day Western Pennsylvania. That was as far as you went back then, uh, I, I, which I understand, because uh, we drove through Kansas, and we keep looking around going, why did someone stop here? <laughs> now, now, we get Western Nebraska, because you come, you've, you've made it all the way there, and you see the big Rocky Mountains, and you're going, you know something, this is all right, this is fine, but, you know, anyway. Um, so they went there, he, uh, he set up the Lord's Supper for his people, but he saw all those other people coming who stood and cried because they couldn't take from the table the sacrament of the table. It tore his heart up, so he let them come. And as soon as he did, he got fired, kicked out of his church. You're not allowed to let other people have access to the sacraments. They're not really Christian. So he sat and wrote down his philosophy in a, in a document called Declaration and Address. Then he had a problem. His family doesn't know he's left the one true church and that he will fellowship others now. Well, meanwhile, back in Northern Ireland, his family's getting ready to come join him. And Alexander, as the oldest boy, is taking over things, and they get on a ship, and the, the Hypernia, and they, they take off, and they immediately they hit a storm and wreck on the west coast of Scotland. That's sad, but it's also good, because on the west coast of Scotland are the Campbells, his people. That's their, their, their clan area, Kintyre and the like up there. And my wife and I have been to the walled city of Inverary many, many times that the Campbells uh, have owned and, and worked on for many years. They were taken in by their relatives, made their way down to Glasgow, the big city in the west of Scotland where our, our daughter was born. Back then she was a Highland lassie, but she's been here for so long she sounds like a Dixie chick now. But, um, <laughs> and the big city of Glasgow has an ancient university, one of the oldest universities in all of Europe, Glasgow University. They, um, they, they decided, well, we don't have the money to hop on another boat yet, so we're going to send Alexander to school there. And he came under the influence of men who had wild and radical ideas. They believed that people had the right to read the Bible for themselves. They believed that the government should not control religion. And this was so radical if you walk around Scotland, you can see places where they burned this person, they hung that person, they drew and quartered that person for the crime of saying people should be free to have a relationship with God outside of government and outside of ecclesiastical control. Well, Campbell heard all these things, Alexander did, and he, he was touched by all of these things, but he had a problem. His father was a leader and the old light anti-burger seceder branch of the presbyterian church the one true church he didn't know his dad had already left there was no facebook notifications back then so there's no way to know and so he didn't know what to do but he was a faithful son he was a good boy 
He then, the time, oh, it got very exciting. There was a time where the men of his church were coming to Glasgow. They were going to have the Lord's Supper. This didn't happen very often. It happened every so, couple years. He got excited. And so all of his people were so excited. But then you had to go before the board first and be questioned as to whether you were doctrinally all right and pure. And if you were, you got a token. And if you got your token, then you could take the Lord's Supper. You could approach and show them your token that you were a faithful Christian. The time came, seemed like half of Glasgow gathered around, many of them in tears because they were not able to take the communion. When Alexander looked around and saw those people, his heart broke. And he remembered what he'd been taught by the Haldanes and others that we have a God that loves all of us and we should be tearing down those barriers. He knew this would get him in trouble with the rest of the world, much less his dad. But whenever the plate came, he looked at it and he thought, if I can't take it with everybody, I can't take it. And he dropped the token and the plate and walked away. Our movement began the moment that token hit the plate. We are not a church or a denomination or a movement. We change. We grow. And for those of you that don't like change, you're in the wrong universe. <laughs> you really are. Everything in the universe changes. If the church is not supposed to change, it's the only thing God ever created that doesn't. That makes me a little concerned, actually. We even find in the Old Testament, God saying, this is the law. And then they, they develop a whole synagogue system they didn't have anything to do with. And so when Jesus comes, where does he go? To the synagogue. Why? Because that's where the people are. Jesus would have dropped his token in the plate. Jesus would have opened his arms and said something very radical. Whosoever will may come. Well, well, they got together back in America and they found out they were both on the same page and they, they published the declaration and address. And that, I'd like to go through that whenever we get here. I know we're here now, those of you that are wondering. Well, yes, this is not a hologram. If it, um, if it was, I would have tweaked it. I would have done some Photoshop on it, trust me. They... Um, when we get here, perhaps we can go through the declaration and address and talk about our identity as a church because that has been lost. And because it has been lost, we calcified, we got a bad reputation, we quit growing, we quit changing, and we lost who we were. That's a terrible thing. You need to know who you are. And Americans are fascinated by that stuff. The 23andMe, the DNA study that's out there now. There's the um, uh, Ancestry.com. A lot of you enjoy that. I don't need to go to that. I just go to HerMajesty'sPrisons.gov, and there we are. <laughs> but you're, you're excited. It amazes me how many people have a Cherokee princess in their line. I always think, well, where are the Yugoslavian goat herds? You know, they had to be somewhere. But uh, they're always very special. But the opening lines of this declaration says this, the church of Christ upon earth is essentially, intentionally, and constitutionally one, consisting of all those in every place that profess their faith in Christ and obedience to him in all things according to the scriptures, and that manifest the same by their tempers and conduct, 
as none else can be properly called Christian. But what does it mean, Church of Christ? Why did they pick that name? That's very important. The name Church of Christ means the same thing as Catholic Church. It means all believers. We were not named Church of Christ to be a brand new brand. We were named Church of Christ to say, we will embrace anyone. We will love anyone. And so while, George, I was in a room, I had no idea what to do. You would have loved this. At the very end of it, they are whipping themselves into a frenzy. And because they're so kind, this sergeant comes over to me and he goes, Dr. Mead, would you do the altar call? And my friend just looks at me. I'd never actually seen one, but I said, sure. I, you know, if you'd give me the altar's number, I'll call it. Uh, They, they asked me to pray. Somebody's playing a piano. Another guy's speaking in tongues. I'm thinking, I, I, God, can you still hear me? You know, I'm, I'm working on it. But the next year, they said, would you come back? I said, absolutely. Why? If you love Jesus, you're my brother and my sister. I will put no walls between us. The churches of Christ went off the rails with the Civil War, but also with the the rise of American fundamentalism. A lot of things you think all good Christians believe this were invented in the late 1800s and early 1900s. They did not come from Scripture. They did not come from the apostles. And we bought into it. We bought into a formulaic thing. We became a cargo cult. If you don't know what that means, very simply, and I wish I had more time for this today. In Micronesia, in the Pacific, southwest of the Pacific, there are islands that were in the Stone Age, literally. And suddenly, the 20th century arrived in ships and planes because the war was coming. And so the Dutch and the Japanese and the British and the Americans arrived with, with ships They saw metal. They saw manufactured clothing. They saw food on demand. They saw medicine. It was as if they had finally pleased their gods. And the gods had come down, a close encounter of the third kind with the big ship coming down. It was an exciting, wonderful thing. And then after the war, everything went away. So they they didn't know what they'd done wrong, but they wanted to find a way to do it right to bring the gods back. And so they would draw USA on their shirt, or rather on their, on their skin, not knowing what the words meant. They'd put a stick over their shoulder and try to march just right to see if that would bring the ships back. They build approximations of desks and airplanes out of, out of sticks and vines and try to move things about on the desk and see if that will bring the ships back. And they've been doing this since the 1940s. The biggest cult is the Tom From cult. If you're looking this up later, From is F-R-U-M. They, uh, what they think that came from somebody who said that his name was Tom and he was from somewhere, and that's what they heard. The, uh, the second one is the, uh, the Navy cult, Joe Navy. They figured, well, I'm sorry, it's John From, Tom Navy, Tom Navy cult. They figured Tom from the Navy, that's what they heard. The, the third largest cult, because they've denominated, because they keep doing this, but nobody's doing it right. The ships haven't come back. The third largest one's the strangest, as far as I'm concerned. It's the Prince Philip cult, because he showed up once, went, hello, and got back on his ship. And that, 
that excited them beyond measure. But many churches are just really cargo cults sitting around trying to move in a certain way to please God in such a way that eventually he might come back and like them. So don't you dare clap, that might frighten God. Don't you dare make noises. Don't you dare move around. Don't you dare change anything because if God comes back, you want to be behaving. By the way, we live at 6,700 feet and in two months, of course, I'll be moving across over here. But until that time, if you would like for a small monthly fee, we'll call you if Jesus comes back because we'll see him a little bit before you. <laughs> You'll just pick up the phone and we'll say, look busy. You know, um, <laughs> they, uh, we get so afraid. I've had people say, are we supposed to laugh in church? You're going to heaven. Be happy. And you might say, well, we, we, we hope we're going to heaven. Don't you dare blaspheme Jesus Christ. If he says you're going, don't you doubt him. Enjoy the road. That's all you need to do. We can do this because we're the church of Christ. We don't have an ecclesiastical body saying, you have to hire this person, you're going to be teaching this one, here's your annual liturgy, and you have to do it this way. We don't have any of that. And so... If one of us says, well, we're going to put a guitar up here, we don't have to go get permission. We can talk among ourselves as this body and say, is this what we want to do? Will this help us? Well, then let's do that. And what if somebody else doesn't like it? That's all right. We're going to love them anyway. We're going to love anybody we meet because they are not our enemy. We are the church of Christ. We are the universal believers who accept any. I had one man hear me talk about this once, and he goes, it's amazing what people's minds do. I'm, I used to be a shrink, and it still surprises me. He says, what if you were stranded in a hotel in a snowstorm, and it was just you and the Pope? What would you say? I said, all right, first of all, I have planned for that, because it could happen. I would walk up to him and say, hello, what's the best thing I can do for you today? He said, won't you say anything about his doctrine? And I said, you know, if that comes up, we'll talk. You know, I'll say nice hat, he'll say whatever, and, and we'll, <laughs> we'll work through it. But I'm not going to treat him as my enemy. If he loves Jesus, then I love him. Because we're the church of Christ. We are the ones who say, as, as was said so well this morning, anybody can come to the table. Anybody. We didn't ask you, were you baptized? Did you get all the way under? <laughs> we didn't say, did you sing right? Did you clap right? Brother George, I'd like to apologize on behalf of the Church of Christ because none of us knows how to clap in rhythm. I, I don't either. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I wait till other people, and then I follow the crowd. That's all I know how to do. And I've noticed that every Church of Christ has a different clapping pattern. Have you noticed this? You know, they, the, this one has three at the end, this one has two at the end, and then if you don't know, then all of a sudden you're doing... <laughs> we, 
we are the church of Christ, which means, you know something, we can clap or not clap or hug or not hug or cry or not cry, but I'll tell you what, when that table is open, we say, whosoever will may come. There's something you need to know. Some of you might be thinking, well, then won't we just become like all the other churches? No. They have rules and structures that hold them back, that keep other people out. And even those that do not, like the community church movement. Are we just becoming another community church? No, I don't want us to, because the world doesn't need another flavor of vanilla or Rocky Road. I'm not trying to be insulting. They serve a point. They're my brothers and sisters. I love them to pieces. But you go to them, what you do not find are the sacraments. You do not find the table, baptism, and gathering as a sacrament of worship. We can do that. And we can say, whosoever will may come. I baptize people all the time that I don't know what they think about the millennium. I don't care. If they tell me beforehand and I disagree, might hold them down a wee bit longer, but... <laughs> you got to make sure it works. Swish them around a little bit, you know. <laughs> Every person in this room is going to die being wrong about something. All we have to be right about is Jesus Christ and love. That's what we're going to do. Now, because of this, we will take seriously truth. But here's the thing. Truth might be stranger than you think. Facts are very pesky things, but there aren't as many as you might think. The more you work... In science, the more you realize what you think is fact is just really what worked today. Did you, have to, did you have to do that periodic table of elements? Yeah, we had to memorize it. They gave us a blank sheet. We had to draw it, put in everything. Yeah, if I had to do that today, I'd be wrong because they've changed a lot of the rules. And we're all very... Did you have to do that? You put the electrons in this subshell versus that one versus this one? We all know that's not how it looks in reality, but that's how it works. So, okay. Then you get into quantum physics where something can be so small it can go through the middle of itself without touching itself. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> but here's the thing, what I'm trying to get to. We will be uncertain about many things, but as long as we love each other and know the right person, we are the Church of Christ. We will hug anybody. We will love anybody. We will say, whosoever will may come. We will not deny them the table. We will not deny them baptism. We will not deny them the gathering. We will listen to them and we will love them because we are the ones that are poised to do that. Other denominations have rules and strictures and procedures and ecclesiologies and bishops and the like that keep them denominated. We smile and say, Welcome. We have no test of fellowship except for one. Love one another. Love Jesus. That's it. You can disagree with me about so many things, which is fine and fair. Because I've been recorded now for about 30 years. Every sermon, every talk. And I disagree with about 95% of those recordings. So if you quote me, date me, 
because I might not believe what I did then. Because I'm on a journey. I'm still changing. If you don't believe that everything changes, look in a mirror. I don't look in a mirror first thing in the morning because I don't like starting out my day screaming and crying and begging. <laughs> my wife, God bless her. By the way, when we do the question and answer thing, she looked at me real quick whenever it was said, Patrick and Cammie will do that. No, uh, Cammie will sit quietly and let Patrick take that. But not because she's a woman, but because she's Cammie. She's a sweet, beautiful, uh, private woman over here who's suffered long. Um, <laughs> Whenever, whenever I talk of her, you will see me smile. I'm very much in love with my girlfriend after 34 years of marriage. She is the light of my eyes, and she's the angel that saved me when my faith was faltering. She is the express image of God in my life. She's also an interior designer, and every day she tells me what she did. And I've never in 34 years gotten an understanding or a picture in my head of what she's talking about. <laughs> Ever. But I listen because she's pretty to look at, and there's nothing prettier to look at, so I'll just look at her, and when she's done, she'll nod, and I'll be dismissed. But <laughs> I can remember one time in our home in Michigan that she decided we needed more light in the bathroom for reasons that still escape me, because I don't want to see anything in there. She put on I don't, this huge light bar with, I don't know, 24 Klieg lights on there that you know, can be seen from space. Rheostat on a wall the size of a pie plate. And I, um, I didn't notice it because I'm a guy. And um, so middle of the night, I went to use the restroom as guys are wont to do. And I hit the switch. And that had evidently been turned up to broil. <laughs> and I was just hit with light. just <clears throat> And I... My first thought was, yes, Lord. <laughs> Second thought was, could you just give me a minute? You know, I'd like, uh, I got a tan out of it. That was nice. But my point is this. Turn on the lights, have a look, and you've changed. Your world has changed. Our songs will change. You know, yes, I love the old hymns. But who here has ever brought in a sheath? And in the old days, when you went out and slaughtered your food every day, you understood there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood. But I want to tell you right now, every kid in here is going, ooh. <laughs> we have to change our language. We have to change the way we do things. But we never change our Savior and our allegiance to Almighty God and to love God and love one another. For that sums up, according to Scripture, all the law and all the commandments. And as the Church of Christ, we are poised to tell Franklin, Williamson County, and everybody else, whosoever will may come into the embrace of Jesus Christ. You don't have to look like us. You don't have to sound like us. You don't have to like our music. All you gotta do is smile and say you love Jesus and we're gonna hug you. And if you don't love Jesus, we're gonna love you till you do. I have friends I work with a lot of atheists whenever I'm teaching at universities and the like. And the, sometimes you'll get them far down the road and they'll look at me and they'll say, I want to believe, but how am I supposed to really believe that there's a God? And I'll look at them and I'll say, watch me. If you can find any other explanation 
for the way I treat you. Take it. We have got to love people so much that they see heaven now, not later. I don't want to go to heaven when I die. I want to start it here. I want him to come back and find it's already been done. Which, by the way, I think he's expecting us to do. So we create our heaven right here. I love it when Peter stands up and announces the beginning of the church. Do you know what he says? I love this. Acts chapter 2. We, by the way, everybody knows verse 238. It's tattooed on a secret place in our bodies. But the, if you're visiting, no, it isn't. It's not secret. The, uh, chapter 2, starting at verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Notice he didn't bring up all the other things we say. And whosoever worships right, and whosoever does this right, and whosoever does... No. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever thought about the Ethiopian eunuch? First of all, I'd like to apologize to him for us calling him the Ethiopian eunuch. He was a queen's treasurer, for goodness sake. We could call him that, but we don't. We call him a eunuch. I know he's up in heaven going, seriously? <laughs> he was baptized, and he went on his way rejoicing to a land where there was no church. And I often wonder, why were you rejoicing? You were baptized. You don't even know how to set up an eldership. You're doomed. Perhaps because all he needed was Jesus. And the churches of Christ are rising up like I've never imagined. You've got Josh Graves, my son-in-law, over at Otter Creek. You've got Josh Ross, Sycamore View in the Memphis area. You've got Jonathan Stormont at Highland in Abilene. You've got so many, Chris Seedman at Farmer's Branch. You've got so many young men rising up and saying, enough of this. All we need is Jesus and to be the church of Christ, a universal fellowship of believers. We're seeing women rise up like Sarah Barton and many others who are able to speak with such passion and such wisdom. We are becoming who Peter said we would be. I am an optimist about the church of Christ. I'm not a Pollyanna. I'm a Scotsman. I'm a born cynic. If you don't understand why we're cynical and our humor is a bit morbid, please remember, if you live in a country where it rains every day, where your national dress is wool and your national music sounds like somebody slowly backing over a cat, <laughs> you will be cynical as well and long for a better land. That's why when people said, you can get on a, sh on a ship and eat worm-infested biscuits and get sick and come across to America, or you might die of dysentery before somebody shoots you with an arrow, we said, you know, it might be warmer. <laughs> so 
Had they come to Nashville this morning, they would have left. <laughs> I am an optimist because I believe in Jesus Christ. And I believe in the freedom that the Church of Christ has that we had at our beginning. We lost it. Let's be honest. We did. But we lost it with the best of intentions. I have nothing against any of the men or women who came before me. Nothing. I was raised on the far, far, far right of the church. I've made a journey. I'm not done. But I still honor and admire them. Because what they're doing, they're doing out of love and respect for Jesus Christ. I think they're wrong. They think I'm wrong. Who cares? We're going to heaven. I want this church to be as excited as Antonio, my last story this morning. You needed to know I was raised on the far, far right of the church, and I bought into all of it. When I first started preaching, I thought it was my job to divide and be angry and lay down the law. So I was preaching at a church in Norfolk, Virginia, as we were getting ready to go back to Scotland. It's a Navy town, that. Here, two sailors walked up with a very excited man between them. They said, this is Antonio. We're going to baptize him this morning. And Antonio hugged me, which I wasn't prepared for. Because Scottish, we, we have to get prepared for the hug. Um, and, so, and, and he said, I'm not going to be baptized. I'm going, okay, fine. Well, Antonio was an Italian who had uh, joined the American Navy uh, so he could get his citizenship earlier and, and serve the country that he had fallen in love with. So good for him. Well, I said, well, Antonio, we'll talk a little bit and see what, how you stand and where, and, and he was gone to hug other people. And I went, all right, fair enough. So I stood up to preach my sermon, and Antonio came forward. When I stood up, I hadn't preached it yet. He's standing right there, excited. I didn't know what to do, forgive me. I went ahead and preached it, because you have to do it right, or the ship doesn't come back. You have to do the cargo cult, and we have, this is the only gig I've got, you know. So um, the rest of the week, I just sit around in my office, you know, wondering what to do. So I, I, I preached an abbreviated version, stepped down, and I didn't want to say, come forward, he was. So I took him off to the side, and I said, Antonio, um, what is it you want me to do for you? And he goes, I want you to baptize me. I'm going to be baptized. Going to be, and I said, all right, great, fine. In a few minutes, I'm going to take you through that door, and we're going to go, and he took off. I, I wasn't done. I had some rules. So I'm grabbing him, trying to drag, trying to stop him. He's dragging me as I'm trying to ask him to say out loud he believes in Jesus Christ because there's obviously no evidence of that. Um, so our baptistry was, was up high because we wanted God to be able to see it pretty easy. And it had, it had a glass front on it. And the Lord's Supper table was down here because uh, we were, you know, Christian. Um, so we get upstairs, and he heads right toward the baptistry. And I grab him, and I said, no, no, you need to put on these other clothes. And he said, why? Um, these are the clothes of wickedness. And I'm not proud of this. And you must put on the clothes of righteousness. And he goes, okay. And he takes off. And I'm going, all right. I got to change quick because he's going to beat me in here. And, and uh, this, uh, this wasn't one of those, the, the fly fishing churches where you wear the fly fishing thing, uh, the, the, the preacher. Really? Uh, I mean, where's the hat? And anyway, so I, <laughs> preachers had to change into their clothes as well. So I get there and he's about to beat me in the water. So I grab the back of him, pull him back. 
And I said, no, I have to go in first. He says, why? Um, to drive the demons from the water. So I get in, turn around, and he's in the pike position. I go, no, 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 no. And I'm holding him as he's getting hit. And as I'm trying to save my words, he keeps lifting up his feet just to go under. And I'm holding him. Because he wants, he wants to be with Jesus. And I'm holding, keeping him away for a while. And finally, he gets tired of me saying my words and puts a foot up against the side and shoves, and we both go under. So I try to say real fast, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, get in there. We went with such force, a wave came over the glass, hit the Lord's table and scattered it. And my first thought was, look at you, Christian, for only five seconds, and you're already going to hell. You deluded, you, you messed. God didn't kill me, and I really appreciate that. He's allowed me time to work my way through and say, let me know that he wants me to be more like Antonio. Just excited to be a Christian. Not worried about, what if I do it wrong? He's just excited to be a Christian. The churches of Christ can do that because that's how we were started. And that's where we're coming back. Very bluntly, people have asked, why are you leaving Colorado? Cammie's from Colorado. We have our dream house sitting right there looking at Pikes Peak and the Garden of the Gods and Cheyenne Mountain. Because I used to be that guy that baptized Antonio. And I want to spend the rest of my life bringing the Church of Christ back to where it started so that we can once again explode, but this time do it right, with love and open arms for all. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, from this place, which 180 years ago was consecrated by righteous men and women, we pray that we will once again launch the love of Jesus Christ, welcoming all believers, all the broken, all those people that don't know our rules, and help us get rid of those rules. Help us, Father, to let love trump everything. Let us, Father, be the people of God, starting right here. Thank you, Father, for bringing us in our, into your family. We pray that you'll give us some time to bring in a whole lot more. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and the whole church says,